Okay, guys, welcome to episode eight of the 40 Proof Podcast, titled Labor Day. Um, this story starts on Labor Day, and it ends on Labor Day, so that's why I named it Labor Day. It really doesn't have a lot to do with Labor Day other than that. Um, we just came off Labor Day, so that was recent, and uh, kind of got me into thinking about this. So was the reason I wanted to make this particular episode. Um, this is 100% about jet skis. And when I say jet skis, I'm talking about stand-up jet skis. Um, the saying is, set down to ski, set down to pee. Um, which is not what we're about here. Um, I don't hate set down skis. They're fun. I've ridden them. They're a blast. But uh, I was into stand-ups, and that's what we're talking about. So if I'm talking about jet skis, I'm talking about stand-ups. Um, so let's get into it. Uh, there was a family in my hometown, the Deals. I've talked about them. They came up in the trucking episode. They're going to come up. They're a family. They're a core group, Forsberg family. Um, you know, Larry was my dad's best friend. He helped me get into trucking, His him and my uh, his son, Brady. And me, we're about the same age, and we grew up together. And then his nephew, he had a couple nephews, um, Keith and Cody Deal, and they're going to tie into this story. Um, they, The Deals were, were a lake family, and the Deals had what they called a Labor Day Splash, Deals Labor Day Splash. They, they held it every – it's always on Labor Day weekend at, um, you know, Lake Texoma. Uh, lake Texoma is pretty close to where I live. Um, I, it's a pretty important lake for me. I've, I've done a lot of, played a lot of gigs up there at bars that were around the lake. I've played at private parties on the lake. I've visited the lake for skiing, jet skiing, just whatever stuff you do at the lake. Um, it's, it's a really big lake. It's right on the Red River, um, and it's right on the Texas-Oklahoma line. So it's a place I've ended up a lot of times. So Somewhere, I'm going to guess this to be around like 1988. Um, it was probably before 90, but like so 88, 89 would, be, would have been the year on that. Um, we, we went up there. Um, there were some of the Eldridge, one of the Eldridge girls had married one of the deal guys. So we even had a more family. I mean, we were kind of family with them. It was a little bit distant, but, you know, Larry would always invite dad up there. And so one Sunday we did go. Um, my dad wasn't a guy that really wanted to bother anybody or get in on anybody's fun. You know what I mean? He just didn't do stuff like that a lot. But finally, you know, he, he we did. We went up there and spent a lake day up there. And the deals were like family. You know, they had boats. They had campers. They had stuff, you know, stuff to do at the lake. And, and most importantly, at that time and in, in that era, the uh, the Kawasaki stand-up jet ski was, was, was a hot item. It was something that kids had, young adults had. Um, it was just kind of the next motorcycle type you know um fun thing to do so we went up there and larry had a 440 uh jet ski um you know when kawasaki released the stand-up jet ski there was there was a version that was the 400 those are pretty rare and then the 440 was next and then there was a 550 that was kind of the first family of them um the 440, to be honest, if you weren't a kid and you were a young adult, um, it was a little underpowered. It was a two-cylinder, two-stroke engine, um, but it just, if, if you didn't really do any work to it, it was it was a little bit difficult to ride as an adult. Um, the 550s was a much popular 
ski, which we'll get into that a little bit more in a minute. But anyway, he had a 440 ski. And, you know, me and Brady was up there playing in the water. And apparently our dad and Larry got to talking and um, decided they were going to make us ride this jet ski or teach us to ride it or however you want to look at it. Um, and me and Brady really wanted no part of it. Um, I don't know if we were concerned about hitting stuff and getting in trouble for wrecking it or sinking it or if we were just scared to ride it i, I don't know you know it's like going on a roller coaster the first time you don't really want to do it uh, a lot of times and somebody has to make you do it and then you realize it's fun so they decided they were going to make us and they pretty much made it clear that they were we were either going to ride the damn thing or they were going to drown us in the lake so drowning didn't really seem like that great of an idea so we jumped on this thing um but to be clear they basically forced us to ride it um anyway after, after riding it i think i took it out first uh, when i came back they made brady go out and you know after we spent made a few rounds on the thing obviously it was a freaking blast and then you know it was game on it was basically a fight the rest of the day i mean i think they probably had to regulate us taking turns on it you know who was going to get to ride it next and uh and to be honest with you, they could barely keep gas in the son of a bitch. I mean, we we just we just wrote it and 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 wrote it some more, you know. Um, I think that was a one-day lake trip and an in and out. Um, so we wrote it all day. I know we went to to some other lakes around after that, and pretty much we were on this jet ski kick. Um, Brady was just young enough; he wasn't ready to to jump in. I mean, he liked riding it, but he wasn't going to jump into it. I was just a little older, so within a few years. You know, when I was into high school, some some other kid, well, the nephews, the Keith and Cody deal, which were nephews to Larry, they had already gotten into the jet skis pretty hard and heavy. They had a couple of 550s. Keith had several 550s, pretty badass ones. Another friend of mine, Buck Mosley, he's came up in the podcast a few times, and and will again. He's he's important to a lot of key factors to this thing. Um, he had a really bitching 550. Um, so, you know, they, they would go to the lake and they would call me and then they'd be like, Hey, you want to go to the lake? I'm like, yeah, sure. But I didn't really have a ski. So I was always like the third wheel, but I mean, a lot of times they would meet up with a group and there would be 10 jet skis and 20 people. And we just kind of, you know, share and people take turns riding and it kind of worked out, but I really longed to have my own. And so within talking to my dad, you know, he's like, Hey, if you, if you want to get a ski you need to save up for it, you know, and get a ski. So I did. Now, along with a lot of other things I bought, like drums and everything, my dad, my dad was pretty cool. If I would make an effort and I would save up half of what it costs to get something like that, a lot of times we'd just go get it. And my dad would be like, hey, you can pay me back. And he'd help me get it. I probably never paid him back the other half. I don't know. But that's just, I mean, if I was trying, he would, he would help me out. So here we went off, you know, um, my dad knew a lot of people, uh, in a lot of places and he just if he got into something and he just found stuff you know um so within a few days maybe a week he called he said hey it's yamaha house in gainesville's got a jet ski for sale let's go look at it so we did it was a very nice 91 up uh, sorry 89 650 sx jet ski now all the boys i ran with had 550s um the 550 was an easy ski. It was the 350 of 350 Chevy motor of jet skis. It was very you could you could hop it up very cheaply and you had a hot rod, you know. And so everybody had those. The 650 had just came out. It was a new, a completely new hole, completely different look. 
It rode completely different. It's not really that much of a sought after ski, um, but it was different and it was mine. And we obviously we bought it. It had a few problems. We got it going pretty quickly. It turned out to be so simple, a little bit of head job, I think on it. And it, we were on the road and this ski was perfect for me. It's one of those things that just fell into my lap. Um, I'm really into stock stuff. I like the way stuff looks stock. I like stock paint jobs. Um, and this ski was very clean. It had just enough parts on it to perform a little bit. I think it had a pipe on it, like an intake grate, pump parts, and, and a ride plate. It had some bars on it, stuff like that. And uh, so it was just hopped up enough to run, but still be reliable. And that's that's really where I want to be in things. And like I said, it was very clean. I'm, I'm a little OCD, so I like to keep stuff clean. So it really fit the bill for me. And, you know, then I had my own ski, and I started riding with everybody and going. And, you know, we're... A lot of guys in these small towns, you know, go to school with their dirt bikes in the back or their four-wheelers in the back, which we did that too. But a lot of times we had jet skis in the back, you know, and we'd leave after school and run to somebody's pond and throw them in, you know, uh, and ride. There's a lot of, uh, the, I'm pretty sure it's the Corps of Engineers, but there's a, there was a lot of government projects in, in my area. There's a lot of government lakes in my area that were built. Um, they're still maintained by those people and basically what that was for is to stop a lot of floodwaters that go to dallas um you know in 80 there was a big flood and i think i think they kind of figured out the area had some issues so they came out you know which were north of dallas they came up in there and they built a shitload of government lakes and uh, those are helped to do flood control and so nearly everybody had a pretty good size you know we, we call them tanks here um but lakes um, if you, you get out in different parts of Texas that, you know, ponds and, and tanks, they don't really have those, you know, but we, we did, we had, we had these lakes and, you know, we had as many as six or seven skis in them at the time, which is kind of dangerous. I mean, it was pretty close quarters, but we did it. Um, and so we did a lot of riding like that and we went out to all the, there's a lot of big lakes around too. So we went to those area lakes too, but that was pretty much life. You know I mean? We rode skis and that was, that was kind of all through my high school. And then as guys graduated and, you know, went off to be college students or get married and have babies or whatever they were getting into or just basically, you know, having a full-time job, being being an, an adult, doing what you do, you know, they sold them, got out of them. Some of them just ended up sitting in barns and kind of rotting away. And I kept mine for a little longer and I wrote it. And I think, you know, a couple years later, one time I got a little bit back into it and got the 0650 out and took it. I had some friends that had never rode one and we took it out and rode it a few times, you know, for a few months. It was cool. And then it just kind of got put on the back burner and set over in the corner. Um, so then we kind of fast forward into probably tw 2015 or so. Um, my buddy Cliff Brown, which you've heard on the podcast, called me and said, hey, we're going to this Rednecks with Paychecks lake party thing. You want to go? Um, oddly enough, uh, Mike Ryan was playing there. And, you know, who would have known that several years later I would end up being the bus driver for the Mike Ryan band. But at that time, anyway, Mike Ryan was in concert there that night. Uh, Rednecks with Paychecks party on Nocona Lake. And so we go and we um, hopped on some of his family's um, pontoon boat. I'm very friendly with them too. And so we jumped on the Herald's boat, jet across the lake. And, you know, it's one of those things. I don't guess I'd been on a lake kind of in my adult life. Um, 
and just immediately the the water and the smell of the lake and the wind in your face and everything just hit me like a ton of bricks and it kind of just immediately took me back to lake life and i was like you know this used to kind of be my life but i'd kind of forgotten about it and so i found myself kind of itching to go to the lake and i was like man i should break out that old stand up and I get to town, and I, I guess I was talking about it. Sometimes I'd go eat breakfast in town, and another kid in town that we were friends with, Sean, um, who's a mechanic in town, was like, you know, I've always wanted to ride one of those stand-ups. And I'm like, dude, you know, I've got one in my barn, but I don't know if it's been setting for so long. I don't know if it'll run. I don't know if I can get it going. And he said, well, shit, let's get it out. You know, uh, we'll figure it out. And he was mechanically inclined enough to do that. So sure enough, we bought a battery, we threw it in the back of a pickup, took it to a friend's lake. Um and threw it in the lake and goofed around with it all day and we we got our we got it going you know and uh, we rode it a little bit um and then we started kind of trying to line up to go to the lake some you know uh and we did that and so then i started riding it um and we kind of started going to the lake and stuff you know it didn't it didn't take long for people to see it and you know immediately those things get reaction you're like oh my gosh i haven't seen one of those in a long time and I kind of got known as the, oh, hey, you're the dude that rides the stand-up, you know, and I met a couple people. I met a, some people that had a boat. Uh, same thing again, oddly enough, I met the guy and talked to him a little bit, Sean. Um, he he kind of came, we started hanging out with him a lot. We call him New Sean because we have the old Sean that was the mechanic, and then this guy was Sean with the boat at Nocona, uh, Sean Merkel. And comes to find out, actually, after I talked to him and met him at the lake a couple times, I, I actually went to school with his wife. Uh, and knew her brother really well. I used to run around with him. So, you know, we, we had a connection and we started hanging out. And uh, and it was just lake life days for a little while. Um, we'd ride the jet ski, do some wake surfing and stuff like that. And so that that kind of compelled me to lead on and, and where this is really going to tie in here. So I got on Facebook, I think, and I started looking and I pretty quickly found, you know, what, what I like to refer to as like-minded um, which which is a coin phrase here, and and is important. Um, a like-minded group of jet skiers, and I think that page was called Dallas Area Jet Ski Riders or Stand Up Jet Ski Riders or something like that. And so I got into it and I started, you know, just like Facebook forum, you know, you ask a few questions, and th those things were really helpful at that time. I mean, these forums now have kind of gotten to be kind of trash, but at that time it was a thing and it was kind of fun. It was fun to talk about jet skis. It was, and I quickly just 100% was back in balls deep on jet skis, you know? Um, so they had a sales page on there. And so I started looking and I found what I'm going to refer to as the box of bones, uh, a 750 SX, I believe is what it would be. Um, SXI, 750SXI. Now, that ski would have been out when me and my friends in the high school days were riding. Um, that ski probably come out in the 90s. But that was a brand new, we probably saw them, but that was a brand new ski. We we weren't touching those kind of skis. We were buying the shitbox clapped out ones, you know, and, and, and doing whatever motor work we could to them and, and hopping them up you know uh and, and all those guys buck and keith and them that i talked about they were all pretty mechanically inclined um so we could keep that kind of shit running you know and so that's what we we're into but to, to get back into it the 750 i found one for like eight or nine hundred bucks it was in a box it had a bunch of shit you know the parts were everywhere 
and um, it had the 750 motor that had been rebuilt, which would allegedly was, you know, fresh, brand new, built. Um, that was really my introduction into the jet ski buying and selling of parts. There are some shady characters out there, <laughs> so you've got to be careful. But I actually lucked out on that. The, the, the hull was a little rough, but actually that motor was solid gold and ended up being exactly what the guy said it was. It was a freshly rebuilt motor, and it ran really good. And he said all the parts were there in the box to put it together, and it turns out they were. And I, that was a project for me for a few months, and I was actually excited about doing it you know i'm just mechanically inclined enough to to put something like that together um i had to inquire some help on a couple things um and that sean sean came over and tuned the carburetor a little bit for me but anyway we we, we got it going and got it running and it ended up being a pretty great little ski these 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 skis were <laughs> that 750 sxi it was it was daylight and dark from, from the 550s and the 440 days. I mean, this was a completely different handling ski, not even in the same ballpark with the way they ran. You know, by that time, uh, there were 550s like this, um, but the 750 was the first one that was 100% rear, um, it had a rear exhaust, rear outlet on exhaust. So, you know, the, the 550s that I rode had the hose that came out the side, so you're always getting sprayed with smoke and kind of just not burning hot water, but a hot water or a kind of a mist of water that came out of them. And so you were always fighting that. When I got on that 750 with that rear exhaust on it, you know, the exhaust is in the water pretty much the whole time. They're quieter. You don't really hear them, and you're never getting hit by it. Um, so I was superly impressed with the 750 SXI, and it was really – a huge transition from the other skis and i really had a lot of fun riding that ski uh so th so then i had the 650 750 and, and man here we go you know we're going to the lake all the time uh the sean got new sean that i mentioned earlier you know me and him would ride because i had to and you know it just started building in my brain well if this 750 sxi is that much better than what we rode what is what is a 800 sx um, sxr what is an SXR ride like? You know, that was the new flagship Kawasaki ski at that time. Um, <coughs> excuse me. The 800 SXR is a phenomenal ski. I mean, it th this thing, they're awesome. So I went to looking in the crew, and I started meeting some people that had one, and we started talking, and then I found one locally. Um, those things still hold their value pretty good. So it, I had to scrape up some money, but I scraped up some money and I bought a very nice, clean SXR. Um, this thing, it was a, I believe it was a 04 SXR, red and white, very clean, very clean ski. No modifications done to it, but you didn't need them. I mean, now I do, but at that time, that 800, it, listen, it, it ripped. Uh, it was it was nothing even like the 750 SXI, and you could you know the hole on it was very forgiving, much easier to ride ski. It was wider than any of the others I'd been on, and I immediately fell in love with those SXRs. I rode that ski a lot, uh, and that's when I started going to meet up with some of the guys, and that's when I went to uh, kind of a uh, 
camp out, uh, DFW crew camp out, I guess you'd say. And that's where I met people like Bob Johnson, uh, Austin and uh, Bo, which are kind of from the Oklahoma area around Texoma. Some guys from Fort Worth, Dustin. Um, uh, there was a couple guys there at Lex Texoma, also Allen and Tyler. Um, Allen is a guy that's, gosh, he's either 60 or um, damn close to uh, – damn close to uh, that age um, and he's got a son named Tyler but you know at that age he absolutely rips on a um, uh, older X2 um, there's a lot of YouTube videos of him riding he's a he's a really good really cool dude um, I can't really talk about how much I enjoyed you know riding with those guys um, so I started to meet all them, which also put me in t in, to meet another guy named Taylor Cress. Uh, Taylor Cress is going to come up. Um, anyway, you know, I, I went to this camp out with these guys up at Lake Murray, and, and now I'm kind of in this, you know, jet ski crew, and we started riding. Um, they were into more freestyle type skis, especially Taylor. He, he was he was trying to, you know, get starting to get into the competing and freestyle so they were into the freestyle skis, you know, which is a lot higher dollar platform. And But I wasn't really even interested in that at the time. I just wanted to ride and kind of chase boats and jump boat wakes and stuff. Um, so with these new guys and, and starting to go, I, I met pretty quickly also with that group, a guy named John Cran. Now, John Cran was into fixed steer skis and to make that really clear what that is that is a ski that has a steering stem versus the old pole that raises up it's still a stand-up jet ski um, but it has a steering stem and basically a set of dirt bike handlebars on it and it's fixed steering because it doesn't move so it's fixed and you know he had a really neat ski that was flag wrapped it was actually a uh I don't want to geek out on a ton of, of jet ski stuff, but it was a Trinity. Uh, it was a Trinity hull that had been converted over to a fixed steer. It was an 800 SXR version um, of a fixed steer ski. Um, to, and to, go, to explain that a little deeper, so Kawasaki came out with a ski called an X2. It was it was a 650 motor platform. And it was called an X2. The, the idea behind the X2 was really kind of a great idea. The X2 was a stand-up jet ski, basically, with this fixed steering stem, dirt bike handlebars. And then it had kind of a tray in the back, but with a seat. Now, the seat was very small. It definitely wasn't a set-down ski, per se. But you could kind of sit on it and take off, allegedly, and then ride it. But more importantly, the key behind it was you could ride two up on it. It was the first one. They were like, hey, what if we take this stand-up stand platform and make it where two people could ride it? So to do that with the weight, the nozzle for your uh, pump at the back had to be a little bit adjustable because of the way it set when two people got on it. And as well, the handlebars had to move a little bit. So it had it had a built-in trim, basically, in it. Now, these things sold like wildfire because the concept, the idea of them was good. And they were kind of a cool-looking ski. The problem is with the 650 motor, it, it, was, it really wasn't enough to pull two people. And let's be honest, the, the guy that can ride that <laughs> is a badass because they're a bitch to take off on. 
you know, stand-up jet skis are not easy to ride. Um, a lot of people, I've known a lot of people that were talented at riding dirt bikes and stuff, and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get on that and rip it. Yeah, no, you, you better listen to what people tell you that know what they're talking about because you will absolutely die trying to learn how to ride it. Um, they, they, they're not easy. So I don't know who was riding these X2s two up that, that was good enough to ride one to take off, but that was the concept behind it. So these things sold like wildfire and then people figured out you couldn't really do what they sold it to do. And they just ended up in barns everywhere. So by this time, people had kind of started to find these and these guys that were finding them were hopping them up because there was a lot more technology in two strokes by now. So you could make a 650 run pretty good. And then they would chop them a little bit, change some parts on them, and you already, you already had a trim so they could hook a trim lever to it and use that trim at the back. And uh, they would go ahead and fix the steering where it didn't move and uh, by sticking a bolt into it. So now you had kind of a cheap freestyle ski. These things will jump like nobody's business, especially when you shorten that deck up and leave the pump out the back so they kind of just started chopping them and cutting them and chopping them and making hot rod skis out of them and you know bob johnson like i talked about he he had a, one of these that was badass that allen guy had one that was badass that they built and they even went so far as putting bigger motors in them and uh, you know and now now bob johnson has a one that has a yamaha motor and you know yamaha got into the jet ski game i'm not going to talk about yamahas they have a bad the super jet is a badass platform they even have a new one out now that's probably phenomenal but i was a kawasaki guy i didn't mess with the yamahas yes i've rode them yes their motors kick ass um maybe they kick ass more than kawasaki but i'm a kawasaki dude i'm a brand dude so we're talking about kawasaki's uh, he has one that he calls a yamasaki <laughs> i've rode it it's badass um but Anyway, so these X2s kind of started to take off. And so I kind of got intrigued by that side of the game. You know, I wasn't, I'm not going to, I'm not the guy that's going to be doing flips. So I don't need a full freestyle ski, even though a lot of these guys did. So like I said, I met John Cran. He was into fixed gear skis. We kind of got to talking. I felt like me and John were like like-minded people. I liked John. I thought John was cool. And so I started flirting with the idea of maybe trying to get a ski like John's. And then it, with a little bit of talk, he's like, well, hey, why don't you just buy this one? It's, it's going to be for sale soon. Um, he had two of those skis that were basically identical mechanically and body-wise. So they, did, they didn't look the same, but they were identical pretty much. And so we got to talking where I could make a deal and trade him my SXR. Um, 800 and for this for this trinity ski the flag ski is we're going to call it and so in august of whatever year that was i did just that i went i went and traded him and i stepped up into the uh sxr fixed steer game uh now that ski was a badass ski the hole was incredible on it it would absolutely fly uh it was very easy to ride it was very easy to to turn. Uh, it was unlike any ski I'd ever ridden at that time. And that 800 motor, with the work that he had had done to it with a uh, factory factory pipe pipe, um, this this thing was a hot rod, and it was fun, and it was next level. And I loved that ski. It had some footholds in the back, so you could hook in it and jump it. And you know we were on the game, so. We started, me and John Crane and the crew started meeting up. There was a core group of us. We started riding a lot. And that's when I really started, had 
got into Instagram. And so, you know, I'd, I'd been taking a lot of pictures. And at that time, I had four skis. I, had, I still had the 650. I had bought a 550 off of Sean Merkel. He bought a 550, a black 550. So I had a 650, a 550, a 750, and an 800. I had them all. I was a jet ski nut. And I had also put an ad out kind of on Facebook saying, hey, if you got any of these old jet skis, I'm in I'm into them. And like literally people came and dropped them off in my driveway. I mean, I came home one day and there was just two jet skis in my driveway. Somebody just brought them. I mean, they didn't run, but, and I kind of started parting them out and saving what was good, selling what I didn't need. And I actually did a lot of Facebook marketplace sales uh, uh, and, and actually made a little bit of money just kind of parting these things out and selling them. Um, gathering some titles uh there's kind of a title game in texas uh with these things it's, it's kind of hard to get some of them titled and sometimes a title is worth more than a ski you know and so i acquired quite a few of these when i kind of had a little junkyard of jet skis going for a little bit and uh in doing all that and i was taking pictures on instagram and doing all that i kind of got intrigued by it and me and my daughter kind of got in a joking manner about how many followers we had and I was like well I could make a page and get a thousand followers you know and which I had no idea that I could do anything like that um, so I figured out pretty quickly there was really no no page specifically for fixed steer skis so I came up you know all the pages I were seeing were, were like you know uh, Harley porn or Harley nation or you know and I, so I thought, why don't I make a page called Fixed Steer Nation? So I did. It was kind of just, it, not as a joke. I was never a joke, but I mean, it was kind of a joke between my, me and my daughter about how many followers I could get. And it was really just a place for me and John and some of the other guys to post pictures of Fixed Steer skis, you know? And that's really all it was. But I became pretty obsessed with it. And so now I'm I'm doing this Instagram page and then I started even making decisions in my life based on this page about buying a couple another I had run across another ski that I thought would be a great poster child for the page I mean it was a very nice photographic type ski I started you know really working on my photos taking I'm not a photographer by any means but I'm just like I started figuring out how to take pictures and so when we would go to these leg days I'd start posting all these pictures up and for whatever reason, it just kind of picked up a little bit of traction. And so the next thing I know, um, we're rocking, you know, this Instagram page. And uh, then it just kind of got into, like, you know, I had two or 300 followers. And we were laughing about it. And then it got to 500. And then I, and then I started getting stuff from people. So it kind of became... As much as I want to regret to say it, it kind of became a repost page, but not a not a crappy repost page where I just stole people's stuff and put it on. I always tried to credit people, and then a lot of people started sending me stuff, you know, private message, and then I would post it. So we did a lot of reposting, but I feel like it was pretty quality reposting, and, and the thing just took off. And then a guy, as it started to build, um, a guy out in Arizona uh, around Lake Havasu, which is the hub for jet skis. That is kind of the birthplace of where they started. And it's just, if you're, it, it's the, it's the Sturgis, South Dakota of Harleys of jet skis. You know, um, it's, 
that's 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 the that's the spot. That's where all the people are. So a guy hit me up that lived there. He had a page called AZ Jet Skis, which was just all about jet skis, and it was very X2 heavy. And we kind of started talking and about Instagram and stuff. And he's like, "Hey man, I actually make stickers. Why don't you let me make you some stickers?" So he did, and I started handing them out. And you know, the next thing I know, I started getting some requests from like Japan. Um, there's a lot of jet skis in Japan. Big movement over there. So real quickly, this thing grew to like a thousand to two thousand followers. Now that ain't shit for Instagram, but for a little guy in Texas that's you know just posting stuff, it, it was kind of a big deal. And when I talked to kind of big names, they had a race in Louisville, and I went to it, and there was kind of some big name people there, and they're like, "Oh, I actually follow that page," you know. And that's when it really hit me that maybe it was something. And so you know, I kind of started trying to grow it, but I figured out really quickly that I had kind of made a major mistake. As cool as it was that it was fixed tier nation and that's what it was, that's all it could ever be. So in in that, I made something really cool. It got up to four thousand followers. Most jet ski pages were in the ten K range of followers. You know, the hottest of hottest pages were in the ten thousand range. So I was halfway there. But I had taken that market and cutting it down to one specific ski. So I took the whole jet ski world, cut it down to one jet ski, and then took that jet ski and even more refined it down to just fixed steer skis. So I kind of circled myself in a place where I could never grow out of. Um, and not that I even, I wasn't trying to make money off of it, but at some point when you're doing something like that, it's got to kind of do something or you can't do anything with it. I can't make cool trips to Lake Havasu and shoot good footage and, you know, maybe I don't even know what all I wanted to do with it, but I couldn't interview people or post pictures of people's stuff or anything because I couldn't afford to go out there. You know, there was no money for the page. And so then I got some merch, but I didn't know at the time that merch doesn't really, <laughs> that didn't really help anything. Um, it just, I, it gave me some cool shirts to hand out to my buddies, um, which ultimately ended up being pretty cool. Um, but I did sell some shirts and I sent them worldwide. And so Fixed Deer Nation was a thing. And I got a chance to go to Havasu as Fixed Deer Nation. I met a ton of people out there. Got to take a lot of cool pictures with all the big players. Um, got to do some cool stuff. Um, repped my shirt out there, you know, and I was the Fixed Deer Nation guy. And I met a ton of people out there that was really cool. And it was a life-changing experience going out there. Um, I met the guys up at Tiger Craft, which is a really cool um, aftermarket freestyle ski. I met a guy named Jay Griffith with Moto Church which is a really rad dude. Um, you know, they were kind of northern, north, northern, uh, upper northern United States people that were out there. Um, everybody goes to Havasu. I mean, it's it's the big gathering. Um, and so it was really cool to get to do that. It was really cool to meet all these people. And, you know, and ultimately also I went there with Taylor. I mentioned Taylor earlier, Taylor Crest. Taylor Crest, um, was into freestyle and was competing out there. And so I actually, he kind of was building, like loosely, he needed a few team members, you know, to use to help him unload his ski and stuff. And we wore shirts one, you know, a few days of, of you know, Team Crest. And, uh, you know, he ended up getting eighth or maybe seventh, seventh or eighth that year um, in, you know, in the best of the world, the best guys in the world, he was, he was number seven. So the dude's rad. I, I'm actually, I just talked to him the other day. I think he's going to come on and do an episode. He's a guy that's just good at a lot of stuff. And he has a boat service um, company that he services boats mobily. Um, so that's pretty cool. We're going to talk about that stuff. But anyway, with Taylor, you know, it was even a more 
in-depth look at Lake Havasu. I got to go some places with him and go behind some ropes that I wouldn't have been able to do. Uh, and, you know, I'm really good. I'm really OCD about cleaning. So I was kind of the detail guy for them. Uh, Team Crest detail, if you want. And, uh, you know, he would show that thing off in some booths. And as soon as it came out of the water, I'd wipe it down and we'd get it ready and get it over there. Um, you know, that was a really cool experience. We, we stay, stayed in a house together. And at night, they would tear the ski down and basically rebuild it, kind of like a drag crew. You see the drag crews, they make a run and then tear the whole motor down and everything. It's not quite that in-depth, but... They would run all day and then work on the ski till way hour, wee hours of the night and then go out and, you know, uh, ride this thing the next day. Um, we definitely did some partying, too. I could go on about Havasu. Um, it's, it's such a cool place, and there's so many cool things about it. Um, but I'll probably talk about that some other time. But that, that was a life-changing time in my life. Um, and I did get the Gen 2 X2. Uh, the Gen 2 X2 was, is a newer version of the X2. Um, and I think they're badass. I, I bought one from a guy down in Texas. Um, I went with my friend Cliff Brown to buy a pickup uh, down in San Antonio. And on the way down there, we just kind of got to talking. And he's like, you know, I got a bunch of cash in my pocket. And I'd been looking at this ski for a while. And it was actually in San Antonio. And I said, hey. Um, and I'd been saving up money to try to buy it. And uh, so I talked to Cliff. And I said, hey, do you, do, you, do you trust me? I mean, like, really? And he's like. I guess, sure, I guess, you know. So we kind of got to talking, and he's like, I was like, could I borrow, you know, some money from you? So, uh, and could we detour over and look at the ski? So we did. We detoured over and met a guy named Jordan. Um, he knew my buddy John Cran because John Cran has pretty much touched everything that's fixed here in Texas in some way or another, and he'd actually sold the ski to Jordan, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they definitely knew each other, so I got down there looked at the ski and of course it was everything it was advertised to be this thing was it was perfect and so i told the guy i said hey man i know you don't know me but i'm down here today and i really want to buy this ski but getting to san antonio is a little bit of a logistics challenge for me i said i have more than half the money right here today from my friend cliff i was like if i was to give you half the money would you trust me to take the ski and then send you the rest of the money in one week and then you can send me the title and I said, you could call and ask, you know, he mentioned some people we knew. I said, you can call him. So he immediately picked up the phone, called John Crenn. He's like, hey, what do you think about this guy, Eldridge? And uh, he's like, hey, man, the guy's good as gold. I mean, if he told me that, I'd probably do it. So the guy agreed to do it. We loaded the Gen 2 up and brought it home. Um, there's tons of pictures on my Instagram of these skis. There's tons of pictures on Fixed Steer Nation of these skis. It was the poster child of Fixture Nation. I did a lot of stuff to that ski. There's a lot of videos of it, stuff I was doing, and it was just kind of my life 100% obsessively for a few years. And at some point in time, it got to be where, with work, when I took the tour busing job, I couldn't really go skiing that much, so I kind of just got out of it by necessity. Um, I did go ride them during the week by myself a lot, but it's, it's more fun to go ride with people. And so I kind of started to get out of it. And, uh, you know, fixed ear nation was something that I couldn't dedicate my time to that much anymore. So I started making a few ideas about doing something with it. And I contacted the AG jet skis guy again. And I was like, Hey, would, would anybody out in Havasu want to run fixed ear nation? And some guys did, they were very interested in it. Uh, some guys with a group out there called retro racing had mentioned they would want to do it because they're very into x2s 
And so I actually gave Fixture Nation away to them. And uh, it was kind of, in, in a weird way, it was kind of a relief because getting material for that is, it's a lot of work. Instagram pages are a lot of work. Uh, but I did love it for a while, and then it just kind of had run its course. So I gave Fixture Nation away. They're running it now. And I ended up selling the Trinity Ski and keeping the Gen 2. It was really my baby. And I kept it for a while, and then eventually I flirted with selling it. And that was right around the time COVID came in, and I started to get into Harleys again. And so I decided to make a move and get out. And I uh, took the Gen 2 X2, put it online, and a guy hit me up out in California, and we actually negotiated a deal for me to deliver it out there on Labor Day weekend um, of 2020. And so I carried the Gen 2 out there and sold sold it to him. I did get to ride it out there, which was really cool because I had not gotten a chance to ride. I got to ride plenty of jet skis when I was at the uh, uh, at Havasu, but I hadn't got to ride my own ski. Um, World Finals is the event that they have there. So at the World Finals is when I was out there. And a lot of people I knew that were fixed deer nation people would let me ride their skis so I got to do plenty of riding out there but it just wasn't my ski and so getting to ride it in Havasu was, was really cool and it was cool that dude to let me ride it you know what I mean um he actually I told him I was going to get there early in the morning and they weren't going to get there till closer to noon and he's like well hey man by 100% ride it around till we get there you know and uh, that was really cool that he let me do that um you know if I'd have known what I know now about meeting the fast life podcast guys or the fast life crews we're going to call them um you know they're they're almost it's almost a doppelganger it's the same type of guys um uh, they're a dfw crew uh, and if i would have known that i was going to meet them and get into the t-bar style harleys i probably would have kept fixed deer nation and i just would have changed it into that um but one thing that was ultimately learned from fixed deer nation and and it's something that i want to be clear about in this podcast I'm never going to close myself in that circle again. So a lot of people say, well, this podcast is all over the place. You're talking about trucking. You're talking about this. You're talking about that. You're talking about jet skis. And you're on this. That's the reason this podcast is like this. And that may, um, you know, I may lose some some following listening ship for that. But that's, I never want to be closed into where I couldn't grow. If that would have just been a jet ski page, it could have got, it couldn't, it could have gotten much bigger. And it would have been a much more general uh, idea of something and then I probably could have done a lot more with it and I could have got more followers and I could have got more things and, and maybe funded it a little better where I could have made more trips and met more people and went to different events and this podcast I'm hoping to kind of do that too I, I'm not trying to make money off of it but to get great material and go great places and do cool stuff you kind of need to fund it a little bit so this this podcast is not closed in like Fixture Nation was. It's, it's about a lot of different things, which includes a lot of different people, which hopefully, you know, puts it out there where a lot of different people like would want to listen to it, hopefully, like-minded people. So with the Fast Life podcast or Fast Life crew people now that I'm hanging out with, I probably could have made that work. But uh, anyway, it's just kind of neat that there was like-minded groups in two different, completely different worlds, but same kind of people on there and you know and ultimately like, like i said i got to meet all those really cool people um you know and like i said i'm gonna have john cran on he's actually competing now some uh amateur on an amateur freestyle i think 
Um, and he's got a shop in Fort Worth that's, that's, that's jet skis. He sells all kinds of jet skis there. And we're going to talk about his business there and that kind of stuff when I get him on. He doesn't, I haven't even talked to him yet. He doesn't know he's coming on, but he is. <laughs> he doesn't have a choice. And, uh, you know, that kind of gets us to today. I'm completely out of jet skis uh, as of Labor Day of 2020. Um, so right at a year, I've been out of them. I do, when I cross a bridge over a lake, I do kind of think, man, I'd like to rip that on a ski. Um, so do I miss it? Will I ever have a ski again? Probably. I probably would buy a ski. The new uh, Superjet looks kind of fun. I don't know that I want to spend, you know, anywhere from ten to 15000 on a new ski, but uh, they're out there. So anyway, that's that's jet ski history for me. There's going to be people on here that are still involved in jet skiing, and I'm sure we'll be telling some jet skiing stories. And that just kind of builds you a history of how my jet ski life began and ended. Um, so, episode eight in the can, 40 Proof Podcast. Until next time.